Welcome to everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us, I may have missed you, but if you're here, it's great to have you tonight. We're so glad you're worshiping with us. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. If you would turn with me to a very familiar story in Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 13, 2 Kings 13. I don't believe I'll be very long tonight. I'm not saying that because I'm in a hurry. But I believe the Lord has something specific that he wants to say to us tonight. Amen. Second Kings 13. And we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrow. And, took, and he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot, and he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians at Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou should have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Amen. For a few moments tonight, I want to preach to you with this subject. Don't stop here. Don't stop here. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. If you study at all military tactics and you study warfare at all, you know that a big part of warfare is the psychology of warfare. That warfare in its sort of foundation is has much to do with the psychology of warfare than it is actually the physicality of warfare. And in fact, if you dissect some of the things in history that let us know this is the case, for instance, when the Germans had conquered most of Western Europe and they stood on the banks of the English Channel and looked across the few miles that separated them from Britain. Instead of mounting an attack where they loaded up soldiers and tanks and machines and boats and crossed over the channel, they decided to fight a psychological warfare. And so they began to bomb the cities in England one after another. And the desire and the hope that was if they could take the will to fight out of the people, there would be no need to send in an army. Because if I can take your will to fight away from you, then I can win without ever having to fire a single shot. If you go back even farther into our history of America and you go back to the history of the Revolutionary War and you've ever seen the, the pictures of the paintings of the soldiers, especially the British soldiers, if you notice something that's quite interesting, nowadays military and those of the military that are in here that when they wear their uniforms, military... Uniforms are based on camouflage to hide from the enemy. But if you go back to the Revolutionary War, the British wore red. 
bright red. Not only did they wear red, but they wore tall hats that were also vivacious in their appearance. And one of the things that when you begin to peel back, one of the things that the reason for their uniform and the particular color and the reason why they were wearing their hats was because of the psychology of you looking across the field and seeing a sea of red. And the hats being the size they wore made the soldiers look taller than they actually were. And so you looked across the field and you saw this wall of red. And you saw these soldiers that appear to be giants. If I can get you to believe that I'm bigger and better and badder than I am, then I'm going to take the will for you to fight me out. And when you peer down your gun and you look in your sights, instead of looking with steely-eyed determination, that voice of fear is going to creep in your head and things are going to get blurry. Instead of you shooting a true shot, you're going to shoot off in the distance because I've made you think I'm bigger than I am. We go here to this story that has been very familiar. It's been preached thousands of times. In fact, I think I've preached it numbers of times. And here tonight, I'm not going, I'm not here to, to go back through the rudiment, uh, rudiments of the story for the sake of repeating. But I really think there's something that's unique to where we are as a body in this place tonight. I fully believe 100% that we are approaching here. We're five and a half months into this adventure, this quest that God has put us on. God has brought you here. God has put you here. God has placed you in this group. Every one of you had a choice and you came in here because you felt like God brought you here. Nobody came forced to come. Everybody had a choice. And so God has put us here. Now we're about five and a half months into this and, and we've had some rough patches. It hasn't been a perfect honeymoon, but you look at what God is doing and I fully feel this way that in my 36 years of living for God and being a part of Antioch for 36 years, I don't feel like I've ever been a part of a group that was on the verge, on the precipice of something great like we are in this place. I know you can look around and it's the holiday season and there's things going on and it's the hustle and bustle of the season and things are happening and you've got a million things on your mind and you're worried about getting your Christmas tree set up and the office parties and all the other stuff that comes with that. However, I believe I've said it a number of times in the last few weeks. We are on the precipice of something great. There's something about to break forth in this place that will be unprecedented. And I'm not talking about something that lasts for only a week or two. But I'm talking about something that when it breaks, it's going to take us to a place we've never been before. I fully believe that. I could go into a bunch of numbers and tell you a bunch of things, but in case you didn't know, I said it. I think I said it last, last night in prayer. But last Sunday morning, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we set our record Sunday attendance. We had 309 combined attendance. And we're moving forward. But the problem is, is that sometimes success can actually become your worst enemy. It's easy to have a steely-eyed determination in a fight and a want-to when everything seems to be going against you. It's easy to get in prayer and to get down and fight and fight the devil and, and stay in spiritual warfare when it feels like all hell is breaking out in your life. But it's a whole other thing when you step over to the other side 
and things start to break forth that you don't let success bring an apathetic attitude where you say look we've arrived and isn't this great and now we can sit and code what got you here is what's got to keep you going so you don't stay here And we find in this story some very important things to where we are. We see that Elisha is sick and the king comes to him because Israel's in a spot. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a difficult place. They're in a difficult spot. So the king comes to him and, and he says, listen, uh, we need help. Israel needs your help. And, you, and you've been a, you've been the prophet now for five kings. Elisha. It had been, I think, 60 years, if I remember correctly. It's a fuzzy in there somewhere. But I believe it was about, at this point in time, 60 years since the death of Elijah. That now Elisha has been the prophet to Israel. And this had been going on for about 60 years through five kings. And now the Bible says that Elisha is about to die. He's sick. And so the king shows up to him and says, listen, you're about to die, but Israel still needs you. And in his feebleness and weakness, he does something extremely unique. He tells the king to take bow and arrow. And I imagine the king probably thought this was something kind of strange. You're a prophet. You're not a warrior. I'm the warrior. Why do I need to take? What, what's the bow and arrow have to do with all this? And the Bible says that he said, take the bow and the arrow in your hand. And then the Bible says something unique in the picture. Get this in your mind. He takes the bow and arrow. And then Elisha takes his hand and puts it on the king's hand. I imagine at that time in my mind, as I look at the story, and my mind is flooded with the images of what it was been like. I can see Elijah sitting up feebly on the edge of the bed, now old in years and, and, and in strength, and, and with all that's left in him, he's sort of sitting on the edge of the bed, and he sort of motions in a feeble way over to the corner and says, pick up the bow and arrow, and the, and the mighty strong king picks up the bow and arrow, and, and then Elisha strengths enough, gets enough strength to stand, and, and his feebleness and his shaking, he, he puts his hands on the hand of the king. And he says to the king, open the window and shoot this arrow. What am I shooting at? What am I doing? It wasn't what he was shooting at that was the key. is what it represented, what he was doing. And so the man of God in his life put his hands on this arrow and they shot, shot this arrow. And he says to him, this arrow represents the deliverance and the victory over the Syrians. He had just given him a word and a promise that came from the man of God, spoken to him. Really, in a lot of ways, I find this to be quite odd. Because in my opinion, it should have said, shoot the arrow. And he shoots the arrow. And then Elisha should have said, the deliverance is going to happen. 
to Israel. And he should have sat down and said, that's it. But he goes a little farther than that. And he says, pick up the arrows and smite the ground. I, I would imagine that king thought, really? You just told us we're going to get victory. What am I doing with that? Okay, you know what? Fine. I'll, I'll just, I'll appease you. One, two, three. And imagine he kind of looked up and said, well, is that good enough? And that old man of God and whatever strength he had left began to shake. And looked at him and said, how could you? After what God had just told you and promised you. How could you be satisfied with a token of participation? Because your attitude and because of the way you are. Because I guarantee you, if he'd have told Joash, and Joash would have said, my father, my father, we need, we need help. And Elijah would have said, okay, Elisha would have said, all right, pick up those arrows and smite the ground. I bet you Joash would have gotten fired up full of the Holy Spirit and would have grabbed those arrows and just begin to whip, bit the ground, beat the ground, beat the ground, beat the ground. Because he was desperate for victory. But he was promised the victory. And then Elisha comes back and puts him to the test. Because you see, I think Elisha wanted to find out how much is really in you. You're fired up because you're in a situation you need to get out of. But what are you going to do when the victory comes? Are you going to be satisfied with just getting past this momentary victory and breaking into something that you've never been before and say, well, that was great. Or is there something in you, king, that I'm not going to be around you all the time. I'm dying. I'm not going to be here. And if you don't have fight in you, and you always need a preacher in your ear telling you it's time to fight. It's going to be a little time. I won't be here. And if there's something that doesn't rise up in you that says it's not your fight, it's not their fight, but it's my fight too. There's got to be something in somebody tonight that says it's not that preacher's church. It's not that person's church. But this is my church. And I will not be satisfied. I don't want a token victory. I don't want just a few breakthroughs. I don't want just a few getting the Holy Ghost. I'm not satisfied. We're stopping here. We can't stop here. We can't just get satisfied because we had called a war and it's been great. And the favor of God is moving and things are happening. And the janitor's getting the Holy Ghost in the middle of worship. And it's all this great stuff that's happening. But we can't say, well, that's awesome. That's great. So let's just coast and see where it goes. But something has to get a hold of us that says, if God can do this. If God can do this, what more can he do? What 
more can he do? Okay, God, you promised us victory, but I'm not satisfied with just one victory. Because our tendency is, and it's sort of a human thing, I get it. But our tendency is, you fight for something, John, for so long, that when you get there, it's kind of like, what's next? Jesus takes his disciples up to a mountain, and right before their eyes, wow, Jesus transfigured and there's Moses and Elijah standing before it man those those guys were blown out of their minds and they looked at each other and Peter steps up and says hey this is amazing let's build some memorials some tabernacles some 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 places because this is where we want to be because that's sort of our tendency is to kind of push through until we get that breakthrough, but then we're sort of like, now that we got it, what's next? And I said it this morning, and I know some of you weren't here, but that's why so much, so many times God keeps putting need in our life because it's the need in us that produces a hunger. And the problem is it's not that God cannot allow us to live victorious, but it's for most of us when we live victorious, we forget God. And so because of that, God always has to allow some opposition, always has to allow some trouble, always has to allow some things kind of rumbling around in us to keep us motivated. And the thing is, you know what? If we walked in here tonight and we found the devil standing right before us tonight, drooling with his eyes. I guess he has a pitchfork. The Bible didn't say that, but it looks cool, I guess. And he's standing there with this pitchfork, and he's looking at us with this steely-eyed grin, steely-eyed determination. Man, right now, some of you, you would just fall out right now just praying, speaking in tongues, fired away. Because we got a fight on our hands. But it's one thing to win the fight. But it's a whole other thing to live with the victory. I'm not interested in just winning the fight to continue to go back and fight again. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. That means somewhere along the line, some of us are going to figure out how to live with the victory. Some of us are going to get the opposite effect that Victory does not bring complacency, but victory actually brings a more of a determination and more of a hunger and more of a desire that says if God can do this, if God can do this, because you know what? Right now, if they walked in, 10 people that walked out in that door and walked up here and all 10 of them stood and lifted up their hands without anybody touching them, they begin to spoke, speak in tongues and fill with the Holy Ghost and all the great things begin to happen and miracles. That's great, but you know what? That's 10. That's awesome, but it's only 10. What about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are continuing to walk by? And you know what? It's awesome when we fill this building up. 
And we have to put out more chairs. And now we have people to the back wall. If you can't see that, I already see it in my mind. I already see it. I see us having to move across to the gym to get more room. And that's awesome. But even at that point, it's not a point where we can say, finally, we've arrived. Okay, we've arrived. But we can't stop here. We can't stop here. You know, the hunger and that fire that got us here is the same hunger and the same fire that's got to keep in us. Go with me if you would. I'm going to skip a bunch here. Go with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And we'll skip down. Oh, Let's try. Verse 15, save some time. Most of you know the story. In case you don't know where we are in the story, I'll give you up to speed quickly. Is that Moses, who was raised in the house of Pharaoh, started figuring out he was different than everybody else. Started figuring out he wasn't actually Egyptian after all. That he looked and acted and talked and sounded more like a Hebrew than he did an Egyptian. And so in this kind of identity crisis that takes place he's out and sees an Egyptians beating up on a Hebrew and he intervenes and he ends up killing one of the men and so we pick it up and verse 15 says now when Pharaoh heard this thing he sought to slay Moses but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well and now the priests of the Midians had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to the water to water their father's flocks. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. And they came to Ruel, their father, and he said, How is it that you are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. And also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his, officer, to his daughters, and where is he? Why is that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And verse 21 says this. And Moses was content. Everybody say content. Content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zephora. His daughter. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. Somewhere along, I believe, Moses, as he started to figure out exactly who he was, started realizing there was something about the call of God on his life. God didn't just decide one day, you know what, let's, there's a good looking young man, let's use him. And then, Let me do some fire on a bush and get him. God already had this planned out. It was already in the plan of God. The hand of God was already on Moses' life. But he gets sort of caught up in some things in his life and gets sort of sideways and ends up committing a crime. And now Pharaoh's hot on his tail. And he flees out into Midian. And he comes to this well, and there's some women that are there, and they're being harassed. And he steps in and becomes the hero for the day. 
And they invite him to come have dinner with them. And then the Bible gives us sort of a glimpse into Moses' mentality at the time. It says Moses was content to dwell in the man. You see, that word actually sounds like a good thing. He's content. He's happy. But that word content is not the same word content that we find later in Philippians where Paul speaks that whatever state we find ourselves in to be content. It's not the same content contentness. The contentness that Paul was speaking about is a peace that comes from understanding that no matter where God has us at, if we're in the will of God, that is something to have peace about. But this contentment was not the same type of contentment because the contentment that is spoken of here is the Hebrew word that talks about having a mental weakness or to be foolish. It's talking about the idea, not contentment based on a peace, but contentment where you lose sight of who God has called you to be and the plan of God that it's in your life and you become mentally weak and you settle for something less than what God has called you to be. And when you do that, you begin to get caught up with things you shouldn't be caught up with because he ends up marrying somebody he had no business marrying. And the Bible says that God sought to kill him because he had a child that wasn't circumcised. And it all was because he had the plan of God on his life and the hand of God in his life. But somewhere along the line, he had lost his fight. And he had disqualified himself. We're coming full circle. We, 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 we started off big, but now we're, start to, we're going to narrow it in. Because you see, one of the greatest fights that you and I are going to have to face as God begins to move us into more and more of a place of blessing is we're going to have to fight that part in all of us that says, I don't know if I really can do this. I know. You know, I know they can. And I know she can. I know he can. But I don't know if I can. And I believe this tonight with everything in me. I say it because I fully believe it. And you may not believe it and that's okay. I pray one day you get there in Jesus name. But I believe everybody in this place has a call of God on your life. There is not one person in here today, in tonight, under the sound of my voice, that's in here just to suck oxygen and out of the room. That if you're in here tonight, you're here because the hand of God and the call of God and the purpose of God is inside of you. But there has to be something in you. Yes, the preacher can tell you we're going to shoot the arrow this way. The preacher can put his hand on you and say, here's what the Lord wants to do. But it's a difference between what the Lord wants to do and what you're going to do. Because I can sit here all night and I can tell you everything God wants to do. And all of it be true. But there comes a point in time where you've got to pick up the arrow for yourself. And you've got to take personal possession. 
And I think we're transitioning into that. Because the next thing I believe that wants to take place as we go farther. And I don't know why the Lord gave this to me tonight on a holiday weekend when there's people out of town. But I just have to trust the Lord with it. Because I believe the next step in all this is that when all of us start taking ownership of this. Because too much, too long we have looked at the pulpit and we've expected the pulpit to do this and do that. I'm not saying that negatively, but you know what? We're all in this together. And I said this several weeks ago, but when you leave here, it should bother you if we didn't have a move of God. It should bother you that if you wake up, go to Sunday morning and you look around and you don't see any visitors. You shouldn't look around, well, I wonder what's going on. It should bother you. Why? Because you're taking ownership of this. And the only way to take ownership of it is you've got to believe that you're important to all of this. Because if you listen to the lie of the devil and he wants to tell you, say, they don't really need you. They don't really, you're not really. If you don't show up, it's nothing going to, and you believe that junk. You're going to be Moses. And you're going to fall into a place of contentment. And instead of finding yourself in the house of God, you're going to find yourself on your couch on Sunday and being content. But not a contentment of peace. But you're going to be content because you're going to get to the point where your mind has become too weak and you don't feel like fighting anymore. And you're going to finally say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. And you're going to listen to the lie of the devil that says, you know what, if you just stop, I'd leave you alone. If you just quit and give up, I'd leave you alone. Oh, boy, is that not the biggest lie you've ever heard? <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the worm wiggling on the hook. He gives you the worm, but he hasn't shown you the shiny thing that's inside the worm. That when you finally bite it, he's got you. And I feel like the, the thing I would hate to see happen, and I guess this is my heartbeat tonight that the Holy Ghost has put in me. What I hate to see happen in all this, brethren and sisters, is to see us begin to have God do greater and greater things and more and more people come and God do great things. But the people that were here in the beginning, those of you that here, that God put you here in the beginning to watch you slip out the door while others come in. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see that be happening. I don't want to see that we start to have more and more and more people come and God do miraculous things. But you fall into a place of contentment because you let the devil lie to you and tell you that, you know what, they don't need you. They got this and they got that person. They got this person. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over every lying spirit. But if there's somebody tonight that there's something rising up in you that it matters to you. It matters to you. It matters to me. It matters to me. I preached it, I preached it several months ago on the difference between law and love. It's not doing what I have to do, but it's doing what I want to do. It's not asking what is the expected of me, but it's going beyond what's expected. Because you see, when Elisha gave the king the arrow, the king did what was expected. But when he gave him an open-ended time period... Where there's no more instruction. And so you know what we're getting to? Brother Jackson spoke of it several weeks ago on a Thursday night. It's one thing for us to go out and invite people. Because we're having an encounter service.
And you know what this represents? I'm not saying it's negative. I'm saying, you know what this represents? This represents you and I linking together, putting our hands together. Working. But the question about it is, when we get past encounter service, and now the arrow's in your hand, are you just going to slip back into, well, I'll wait till there's another opportunity to invite somebody. I'll wait till there's another opportunity to witness. I'll wait till there's another opportunity to share the gospel. Because right now, Elisha doesn't have his hands on me. Oh, there's somebody in there here that says, you know what? I want to be a part of what God's doing. When we push through that last sort of, I believe sincerely tonight, we've pushed through spiritual resistances that have been fighting us till we got here, since we got here. I believe we've broken through that. Does that not mean we're going to have another fight down the road? Of course. Come on, we're not, we're not dumb. There's going to be more fights. But we've now, for this period of time, for this season we're in, we've broken through the spiritual resistance. Now the question is, are we going to break through our personal resistance? Where it's not just going to become about the collective victory, but it's now becoming I want a victory. Put up really quickly. I'm, I'm closing I'm closing now, but Romans 12, 2. Put that up there. I'm not going to pull it up. I'm going to use you. 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this warm, but more, but be ye. What's that word? Transformed, metamorphosed, changed. Something different than where you were. You were a caterpillar. Now you're a butterfly. You used to be this, but now you're that. You used to be passive, but now you're active. You used to be doubtful, but now you're full of pain. Change. But this is how you do it. By the renewing. The renovating. The rebuilding. The restoring. The change in your mind. Because if you don't think right now the adversary is doing whatever he can to get you distracted. I bet you I would be as bold to say it's not the Holy Ghost telling me this. It's just a good guess from being around for 36 years. I guarantee you some of you over the last couple of weeks have been getting hammered in your mind. I bet you some of you have been doubting. You've been battling with doubt you haven't fought with in years. And then you've been questioning, my God, what's wrong with me right now? Why am I thinking this way? Man, something's wrong with me. And then you start going through the, you start the repenting game. You start just repenting. You start repenting for things you've done. You start repenting for things others have done. You start repenting for things you're probably going to do. You just start repenting for everything. You just start picking, you just start naming stuff. You're asking others, have you done any sin? Can I pray pray and ask for repentance for you? Because something's messed up. I got to get this thing straight. And the more you repent, and you just, I mean, seriously, you're repenting for stuff you've never done. You're repenting for future stuff. Lord, I know one day I'm going to do this. I'm just going to ask you right now, forgive me. Because you figure, 
Well, the only thing that's messed up is I've got to do something wrong. No, 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 Moses. There's nothing wrong. But you've allowed yourself to miss the fact that there's something God has called you to. There's a purpose. There's a purpose and there's a calling that God has called you to. Would you stand with me tonight? We've sort of bounced around tonight a little bit, but this is how I feel. This is how I feel to end this. This is what I feel in my spirit. But if you're here tonight and you know, maybe you don't know the specifics. Maybe you don't know. It's not been broken down to you specifically. You don't even may not even, may not even know it in generality, but just you simply know you know God has a plan and a purpose, a call on your life. When I say call, I'm not talking about the, the preach. It's just simply a recognition that you know God has a call in your life. But tonight, you can at least be honest and say, look, I think somewhere along the line I've, I've lost track of that a little bit. And I've let myself become distracted. And, I, and, I, and I've, I've sort of got let myself get lost in the crowd. But I know that God has a call and you want to come you're going to take tonight as we close this service and reconfess to God the plan and purpose of your of your life because you know that you don't want to miss out on what God's doing you don't want to miss out on what's happening you don't want to be Moses who settles for a life in Midian when God's called you to lead millions and maybe you've had some moments of weakness and some moments of time where you've allowed your mind to get distracted. But tonight you want God to bring a refreshing of vision, a refreshing of faith in this moment as God's moving us together as a church. But God is going to move you. I want you just to get out of your seat, come down and just lift your hands right now and say, God, touch my mind tonight. Come on, Ron Gardner. Come on. It's time that you begin to let God do what he's called you to do. Come on, man. Tonight, let God begin to come on. In the name of Jesus. Rise up in us tonight, Holy Ghost. Rise up in us tonight, Holy Ghost. Come on, be transformed tonight. How? Say, God, touch my mind. Let there be a renewing in my mind. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Begin to talk to the Lord. Begin to talk to the Lord. Come on. You say, I don't know what I'm praying for. If you don't know what to pray, pray in the Spirit. If you don't know what to say, pray in the Spirit. Come on, this is not an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. Not by might. Not by power. But by my Spirit, saith the Lord. There are countless, hundreds, thousands of souls that are represented by the men and women standing down here tonight. And the devil would do everything he could to take that vision and take that 
gifting away from you. But tonight I pray in the Holy Ghost that faith would rise in your heart. Rise up, Holy Ghost. Come on, this is more of a decision than is actually a, an emotional experience. If you feel it or don't feel it, that's not the point. The point is it's a decision I'm making tonight. I'm going forward. 